welcome to New Wineskins, a podcast dedicated to helping your church discover fresh perspectives to increase your ministry effectiveness, engage your community, and fulfill your calling in the context of our current culture. Each episode, we take time to dialogue with pastors, church staff, lay leaders, and experts who bring new ideas and fresh perspectives to assist the local church. You can find out more about our program by visiting us on anchor.fm or email at tony.brooks at bgav.org. Our host for this journey is Dr. Tony Brooks, field strategist for the Baptist General Association of Virginia. We hope you enjoy this episode of New Wineskins. Here's Tony. I am so thankful to be joined by Dr. J.R. Woodward. Uh, he's our national director for the V3 movement around church planting, remissioning, and doing so much. And um, J.R., again, I've been just really appreciative of your books on creating a missional culture, as well as the church as movement. Those were two that, uh, that I have. But what really hit home with me is I took the course with you and uh, Reverend Yoon Strasser, who's a church planner in Hawaii, uh, around structuring the life of your church for movement. And you mentioned some good things there. Uh, there's a lot more I could say, but first, is there more you want to let the audience know about yourself, your passion, where you are? Sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, I've been uh, a church planter. Actually, my first church plant was in Virginia Tech, and I was there from 1990 to 2002. Uh, we saw a group of about uh, two dozen students grow to about 1,200 by the multiplication of mid-sized groups. And wow. uh, then we took uh, a couple dozen out to L.A. and planted three churches out there. Uh, that church, since I left, also planted another six churches. So it's, it's been kind of movemental in its nature. Uh, last year, I finished my PhD at the University of Manchester in England. And uh, my theme is missional leadership, mimetic desire, and the powers. And uh, I'm currently working on a book that's called The Scandal of Leadership, which, uh, and I'm kind of using that word scandal in a both a negative and positive way, in the sense that uh, scandal is a kind of a term that Rene Jard uses uh, when we get caught in this mimetic cycle, which is probably too much to go into. And But there's also the scandalous way uh, that Jesus led, which is very different than what we see in the world. And so uh, that's going to be the nature of the next book. And it's essentially giving a deeper diagnosis to the problem of domineering leadership in the church and trying to point a way forward. But yeah, yeah, V3, you know, like you mentioned, we we have uh, we have a lot of things that we do. We have free webinars. We got one coming up this Thursday on the good news. And, you know, uh, and then uh, we have these four to six weeks immersions. You were kind of alluding to the one structuring, restructuring the church for movement. Yeah. Uh, but we have a lot of those, these four to six week kind of deep dives into a particular theme or topic. And then we have our nine-month-long cohorts, and like you mentioned, in the remissioning area, or uh, church planting in the neighborhood, or what we call marketplace planting. 
And yeah, those are kind of some of the things that we do in the V3 world, which is all a part of the BJB. Uh, so we're glad to be partnered with you guys. Well, trust me, we're thankful for you. Um, just look in our culture. You know, I'm, I'm, look, I'm working with traditional churches. Many have been around 100 years or more and realize that some things have to change. When they look at the culture, what we've been through the last year with the pandemic, with race issues, politics, all of that, what are some of those things that you think are essential? If they want to restructure, move forward, what's most important? Yeah, I mean, I think if there's, you know, one of the things I think about in the times that we live in particular, it feels very apocalyptic. And and I use that word in the broadest sense. It seems like apocalyptic literature in the scripture is designed to kind of unveil and reveal something, both about God and I think also maybe about how we think about church. And so for me, you know, part of the revelation is like I, I look at, we hear about fallen leaders, seems like too often, uh, how the church in some ways we lack the being a vibrant sign, foretaste, and instrument of God's kingdom, reflecting the values of the kingdom. And all of it like uh, speaks to what I consider to be a discipleship crisis. In other words, like uh, we've kind of failed at our very fundamental calling, which is to in some ways be and make imitators of Jesus. And so I, I think we have to think about, and here's the thing about structure is like how we structure the church shapes us. Uh, and so a restructuring can reshape us. And I think fundamentally, if our our fundamental calling is to go and make disciples and immersing them in this Trinitarian way of life, as Willard kind of rephrases the commission, um, I think we have a, give some deep thought to how we structure the church, because again, we create structures and structures recreate us in the process. So how do we move discipleship from the periphery of what we do to the very center of what we do? And I'm not just talking about any type of disciples, but mission-shaped disciples, like uh, a type of discipleship that cultivates uh, people who will you know, live in the world for the sake of the world in the way of Christ. So, yeah, basically being committed to Christ rather than the church and, and the church. Well, you know, I, I, I don't know if I want to pit them against each other, but I think committed to Christ and committed to the church and okay. but committed to the what the mission of the church is, you know. Good. And, and, and the church kind of being committed to the kingdom. So the church shouldn't be the end in itself, but. Certainly, Jesus died for the church, and we ought to love the church and be committed to the community. That's the only way we can fulfill the commission. Right. Yeah. Yeah. That's good. Um, So how do we move forward? Uh, What are those areas that you think are most important to help a church that's traditional begin to reshape, rethink, reform um, what it means to be the church? Yeah. So, I mean, maybe fundamentally, I want to go macro, big picture, and then we can maybe zoom in on the structure in particular. But uh, so for me, uh, and and this is kind of is really kind of giving a little bit of the philosophy behind V3. There's probably three big kind of foundations. The first being like a grounded spirituality, which kind of in a lot of ways 
we oriented around the Lord's Prayer. And if you think about the Lord's Prayer, uh, the first one, Our Father in Heaven, Hallowed Be Thy Name, kind of speaks to communion, which also kind of speaks to understanding our identity. So we, we talk about a rooted identity. Right. And I think our first identity is just simply a child of, of God, you know? Yeah. The fact yeah. that we call him Father shows the intimacy that we have and the fact that he's in heaven shows that he has a much broader perspective than us. So there's that transcendent nature of God that we can tap into as we're on this journey as kids holding onto his hands, you know, the, the kingdom come, I think speaks to vocational faithfulness. Uh, And and that's kind of, we are meant to be, you know, activists for this kingdom. Like that is our ultimate goal as individuals, as well as the church. And so we should measure our faithfulness by that. Or you could say commission is another way to think about that. The The next is oh. forgiveness and debts. And I think that speaks to community, in particular, countercultural community, because it's not community in the way that we see in the world. It's very different. And we have a radical orientation around welcoming, a radical orientation around how we use our finances, a radical orientation on what it means to be forgiven and forgive. And uh, and then I think you speak, you know, then you got lead us not into temptation, deliver us from evil or the evil one. This speaks to the conflict that we face in the Christian life. As we start to live out our vocation, we will face conflict from the powers that be. We have to learn to name, unmask, and engage those powers well. That's going to take a spiritual formation so that we can kind of, uh, our internal life is able to uh, meet the challenges that we experience in our external life. And then finally, the consummation, which is kind of uh, somewhat of an added thing, but something that we all pray for thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever and ever and amen. I think it's interesting that that's, that comes right after lead us not into temptation, because I think the fundamental temptation that we have is to build our own kingdoms by our own power for our own glory. And so in this case, we need to have what, what we call like a cruciform leadership. And that's kind of just uh, Philippians 2 type of orientation, right? Uh, this kind of kinetic journey that uh, recognizes that as we try to understand our identity and understand who God is, that we, like John the Baptist, you know, we <laughs> we kind of are decreasing while Christ increase. And the strange thing about that is like, usually Christ considers us a a more faithful instrument and pours more through us as a result. So I think at the very foundation is kind of this grounded spirituality that's wrapped right up into the Lord's prayer. That's something that we're all familiar with. And I think it's, it's something we're called to pray because if we, if we don't have that foundation down, then everything else doesn't really make much of a difference. Amen. I, I think the second big macro picture is is missional theology and this is something that's uh it's missional for some people use it as a fad but from in a, in a deep understanding of missional is it's a the, theological development first and foremost that started in the 1950s and kind of has been developing and there's really five elements to that you know there's this social god in the in the sense that in the beginning was community the father son and spirit in this unending dance of mutual love and care and uh, ascending God or Missio Dei, where the Father sends a son, the Father sends in the spirit, the triune God sends us. So at the very center of the universe is 
ascending God. God is more missional than any of us uh, probably could imagine or dream. And then uh, the third is kind of the primary mission that Jesus had or the message was the kingdom of God. And so, and, and that's a very broad message that not only shapes our personal lives, but our social lives, as well as deals with the cosmic, as well as creation. And then the fact that uh, we are sent communities. Uh, in other words, like Jesus says, as the Father sent me, so I send you. And so our very nature is we're a sent people. And I think as we understand that, we can't live into who we are unless we fully live into our sentness. And then finally, there's a missional hermeneutics, which is basically saying that the scripture was inspired by a missionary God, written by missionaries and really uh, written to missionaries. And it only makes sense when we look at it through a missional lens. The third element is what uh, we call a movement ecclesiology. And again, it's kind of the unique element is marrying all of these three things together. And really, like maybe the five ways that we identify that is there's one holistic gospel. In other words, everything that was lost at the fall, our relationship with God, with each other, with creation and our own brokenness was redeemed in Christ. And so there's kind of something theological, there's something sociological, there's something psychological, and there's something ecological. And, and we realize a holistic gospel speaks to all of those things. There's two places of witness in our neighborhood and our networks. Our neighborhood is the places that we live geographically and uh, our networks is where we live socially. There's the three elements of the church, which again, if you have these three things, you have the church. There's communion, community, and commission. You can't be without any of those, but if you have those, that means you can organize around anything that includes these three elements. And then there's a four spaces of belonging, which I'd like to dive into a little bit deeper uh, and explain what that means. And then there's fivefold intelligence, which is uh, in Ephesians 4, maybe best described. And if you look at that passage, the end goal of that passage is that the church would be both unified and mature, even reaching the full stature of Christ. And for that to happen, we need kind of that DNA that these are gifts that Christ has given the church. They're actual people gifts, apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, teachers that are to equip the body so that the body, you know, grows itself in love. And so those are the five aspects of a missional ecclesiology, but like Jay, probably, I, I'm thankful. yeah, go ahead. I mean, that's, I, I wrote all that down. I, again, both of those books have been a lot to me, but, uh, and fivefold ministry, again, I, I use Mike Green and Steve Cochran's book on building and stopping culture to huddle pastors to help them. And so the APAS, um, I've tried to help them understand how important that is in looking at the fivefold intelligence in Ephesians 4. But what I have not done a lot with is the four spaces of belonging. And your course really helped me to. Because everything you said, how do we break that down based on the four spaces of belonging? Yeah, yeah, that's great. So I think like today, uh, the average church in North America, at least, uh, if we think about, so let me just explain the four spaces, as you probably already know, there's intimate space. And by the way, uh, these spaces were defined in the 1960s through a guy named Edward Hall, a sociologist basically identified these four spaces of human interaction. And then Joseph Myers in his book, The Search to Belong, kind of popularized these spaces. Yeah. Yeah. There's intimate space, which is usually like 
three to four people. There's social, uh, personal space, which is usually between five and 12 people. Uh, there are There is social space, which is typically between 20 and 50 people. And then there's public space, which is usually 70 more in a public space. So if you think about what sociologists discovered in the 60s, Jesus lived into intuitively in his time. Mm-hmm. He confided with the three, James, Peter, and John. He trained the 12. He mobilized the 70. And yeah. he spoke riddles to the crowds or parables, if you will. Right. And so what you, what you start to see is like, I, I would say today, as I've talked to a lot of pastors and so forth, like today we seem to put a lot of emphasis on public space, just as about the primary space. Yeah. And then some will give a little bit of uh, space and attention and resources to small groups, which is typically personal space. And we don't even have a social space, which is probably why we lack our ability to live missionally. Mm. And the way that we use personal space, I, I will suggest, is kind of uh, unhelpful and maybe doesn't uh, measure up to how Jesus used it. And so we also fail to make disciples well. And so oh. at, at, at V3, I, w- I would say this, every church has to think about what are we multiplying? And uh, I think we have to, whatever we're multiplying, it should be easily reproducible by just about anybody. Right. Uh, about people who don't have to be full time or even part time. And so for us, out of those four spaces, the core that we're trying to multiply is personal space within the social space. Yes. OK. And I could probably say each of these spaces do some things well and some things not so well. Right. Right. Intimate space by its nature is where we can be most enterable, most uh Uh, intimate and vulnerable, right? Mm -hmm. It's a space where we can kind of share the hearts, uh, what we're going through, the tough issues, uh, where we're kind of stumbling, like, and and get genuine help with a couple of other people that we trust. Uh, Personal, so for for us, intimate space is moving from being unknown to being known. Personal space is, is moving from small groups to equipping disciples. In other words, a typical small group is open and is available for new people. And that's okay. But like the problem is like if you're if you have an open group and a new person comes in, then you want to be hospitable to the new person and orient the group around the new person. Otherwise, you probably aren't going to have a lot of new people coming. But when you do that, you can lose the depth of the group. Right. Because you're always going back to one on one. And how do you grow deeper? Yeah. Interestingly enough, like for Jesus, personal space was by invite only. It was for him a bounded set uh, that people were invited to participate in. And that's where discipleship and training really happened. But the social space, which the personal space ideally is uh, fully integrated into, is a center of that social space, is really oriented around being moving from communities to communities on mission. And a fundamental thing to recognize is that space is ideal for mission. And so it ought to be oriented around some kingdom purpose. And the other need it kind of meets is a sense of belonging that every human has. And if you think about actually the fivefold that you talked about earlier, I think uh, in some ways the apostolic gifting relates, each of these relate to kind of a fundamental human need. Right. Uh, the apostle like deals with purpose. 
You know, everybody's looking for their purpose. Like every human being, whether it's a Christian or someone who is not yet a Christian. Uh, the, the, the prophet, you could say, speaks to our internal hunger for justice. Uh, the evangelist, you know, is speaks to our need to belong. Like, and the, the, the pastor speaks to our need for wholeness and healing. You know, the teacher speaks to our need for truth. And then all of it, you know, wrapped up in God speaks to our need for beauty because there, there's nobody more beautiful, you know, than God. So each of, uh, so when we think about social space, I think it's helpful to think about creating it around these common needs that every human has and oriented it in a way that kind of meets people where they're at. And so social space by definition has, uh, is a place where our, our Christian friends interact with our non-Christian friends. Right. And so, and if you, if you, and so discipleship has best takes place in personal space, mission and community best happen in social space. And I think public spaces, I talk about moving from idolizing it or demonizing it to reimagining it. And um, I think there, you know, there's some forms of church that idolize it. Everything is about public space and, you know, what it means to be successful and faithful and fruitful. We measure, you know, excess by how many people come to our Sunday gatherings, what's our, you know, like uh, offering and maybe what our building looks like. I think that we need to kind of re, I, I think we have to kind of relook at what uh, counts, you know, and, and, and maybe, uh, yeah, I reframing what counts. And instead of kind of counting how many people come to Sunday uh, and, you know, offering, which all of those are things are fine, but it's kind of a reductionistic view. And I, I think, you know, when it comes to personal space, how many people are in our discipleship poor? Uh, how many disciples are displaying the fruit of the spirit more? When it comes to what does it mean to be faithful and fruitful, I think we need to look at it from a quantitative and qualitative view. Quantitative is kind of stats. Qualitative is stories. So we have to learn to measure both in stats and stories. And I do think it's important how we measure. Joseph Myers kind of puts it this way. He says, we measure what we perceive to be important. That which we measure will become important and will guide our process. That which we do not measure will become less important. Uh, so measurement has dynamic power over the journey and the results. It is not neutral. The measurement is the message. Our way of measuring is not a neutral tool that simply tells us what there is to see. You know, our way of measuring influences the facts in a way that has a profound effect on our perception of reality. And so I think that we just have to have a broader way of looking at what does it mean for us to be faithful and fruitful? I could dive into that more, but let me kind of Leave yes. it at that and let, let you ask them. JR, again, um, developing that new scorecard is so important. Most of the pastors have not um, been trained to do that. That's why I think the four spaces of belonging are so important in, in helping them to reevaluate um, how we move forward with the church. And uh, most are so focused on that public space, that worship service. And it is important. We all know that. 
but hopefully it's moving them to the social space, the personal space, the intimate space. So how do you go about doing that? If you're, if you're new at this and your focus has been on preaching, teaching, um, and they've not been discipled. Now, that's another part. And I think I mentioned that in the course that I was in, that as I disciple pastors, I've discovered many of them have never really had a discipleship, really personal space that was intimate, vulnerable. Um, and so helping them to move from public space to these other three and feel free to share any training events, things that you've got going on to help. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. So I, I do think like what what's kind of happened in the North American church is kind of the tail is wagging the dog, meaning right. like we we try to have other spaces in order to build our public space. Yeah. But if you look at Jesus, like it, it, if you just tried to think about which space was the most significant for him, you know, where where did he leave the responsibility of the church to? Was it the crowds or was it his disciples? Mm. Uh, you know, so uh, you were at the immersion that we do. And one immersion I would, you know, really encourage that would help get a great overview is the structured for movement. Immersion that we're going to do again, I believe, in near the end of July, and uh, it's a six-week immersion. So if you go to the v3movement.org and you look under immersions, uh, it may not be there right now, but it will be there in the next couple of weeks uh, where you can kind of sign up for that. But well, let, let yeah, me back up that thought, okay? I was so excited from this experience that I wanted to go to Hawaii. And uh, <laughs> yeah, and meet Reverend Yoon Strasser. I, I wanted to spend more time with Jr. This is really a good experience to help you regauge um, where you are, reform what it means to be a pastor or a staff member. So, just wanted to bring that in. Yeah, and maybe I'll. Thanks for bringing that in. Like, uh, I, I I like to use Un's story. You know, she participated in a cohort a couple years ago. Her church plant is in its third year, but she approached church planting much differently and kind of with this keen awareness of the four spaces of belonging. Her first year, she would say 90% of her time was focused on personal space, that five to 12. She had 12 people that she focused on discipling. So there was a time, you know, they would meet for their discipleship time, maybe like three times a month. That doesn't mean that's the only time she was discipling because yeah. most of the discipleship happened in the informal spaces, not just that formal space. Yes. Here's the thing about her story. Now, you know, she had an advantage in the sense that before she planted a church, she talked about 65 people, interviewed them. She was explaining what, how she was planting this church and how it was different. And so out of that 65, 12 were ready to sign up to be disciples. Mm. Out of, you know, that gives you the range. Like, right. uh, and starting with those 12, though, she developed, uh, we encourage people to develop a discipleship pathway, which is usually like a, a nine-month journey where okay. they learn multiple different competencies on how to live missionally, how to 
build a, a social space together and, and they're learning and they're doing right. So it's not the problem with a lot of our preaching is like, we, we preach a bunch of things and then there's no follow-up on what that means. Well, discipleship core, when you have that personal space, you teach, you do it with them. And then you give feedback, just like Jesus would send them out and do something. Then he would give feedback to them. Right. right. People don't do what we say. They do what we do. If we're not in a small enough group where we're doing something with them, they may not catch it on. In fact, statistics have shown clearly that public, you know, if I want people to live on mission, I could preach every week on mission and it won't move the dial at all. The thing that moves the dial is they get into a group of people that are doing mission together. That's right. and 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 that's a way to do it. And a lot of that will come. It's not just through instruction. We need that, but they do it more from imitation. That's the whole idea, right? More is yeah. caught than taught. We all know that. Right. But this puts it into a context where if you believe that, just like uh, like a parents and a kid, well, then you're going to kind of create a structure that enables that to happen. And that means like they got to know you well, and they need to see how you're living on mission because they're going to imitate what you do, not what you say. And so. Let me give an example there real quick. Yeah, please, please. Uh, Again, Greg McCormick huddled me when I first came back to work for the BJV. And he shares a story about someone who was huddling, again, that personal space uh, around building a discipling culture and about the importance of. setting the example with your children and having a devotional. And one of the young men came after that session and said, I don't know how to do that. He said, what are you doing next week? Every night at eight o'clock. He said, well, I can, I can make that work. He said, well, good. That's when I do our devotional time with my family. So that again, the modeling, setting that example, being vulnerable to go to that level. uh, That's yeah. It's really important. Yeah, yeah. So Un spent 90% of her time investing in her personal space for the first year of her church. She started, obviously from that, they started a social space, which they had about 50 people that would come to that. 50% of those were non-Christians. It was a very simple space. They, they had a dinner. Somebody spoke like on a quote that really was motivating for them for 10 minutes. There was a story related around that theme. And then we were all at tables of six to eight and we had a bit of discussion. And it's amazing. Like even, you know, half my table was probably people that would not self-identify as a Christian. And yet they had a lot to contribute to that conversation. So a social space is not like, uh, I I, I think about like, there's three types of environments that you can create for non-Christians. There's like the sharing Connecting, sharing, and challenging. The connecting space is just, it's a very open space just for Christian non-Christians to connect. It doesn't have any gospel presentation per se. That doesn't mean there might not be conversations that are happening. It's just a a place to get together. Sharing might be kind of what Un's doing here. She adds some aspect of sharing. It may not be direct, just like a testimony, but more like this inspiring phrase. And then there's the challenging events, which may not happen in that social space, but uh, you know what we call like building a bridge. Where out of that social space, if you if you in, in an space like there's 50, maybe 25 non-Christians, 
maybe there's about six or eight that are wanting to be challenged a little bit more to learn more about Jesus. So they had these Jesus conversations for six weeks. They brought those people into that space where it was a little bit more challenging event because they were ready and open for that challenge. And at the end of that space and time, those people, I think many of them self-identified as a Christian at that time, and they became part of a new discipleship group that now is starting a new social space. The other thing is from her original discipleship core, after being together and being in social space together, they broke off and started their own personal spaces or discipleship cores and their own social spaces. So three years later, they have nine social spaces Mm. and each of those social spaces has obviously a personal space within it, just in three years. That kind of reaches out to about 450 people. (laughs) But how we measure is very different. Like how they measure things, you know, it's more measuring how many people participate in a social space, how many non-Christians uh, are in that space, and maybe qualitatively, in what ways are our prayer and connection with these people that we're sent to experience a greater sense of purpose and belonging, healing, and welcoming? Wow. Um, in what ways are our guests experiencing positive transformation? And each of these spaces are kind of doing new, some type of kingdom, you know, venture, right? So how many people are joining wow. us and bringing a greater sense of justice or beauty to our neighborhood? In what ways are kingdom effects transforming our neighborhood or network for the better? These are all the different ways of trying to measure faithfulness and fruitfulness that go way beyond just how many people come on Sunday. They speak to the areas of discipleship. They speak to the areas of mission. They speak to the areas of developing of people to become looking more like Jesus. Wonderful. Uh, Yeah. So how do I let pastors know ways, resources that you have? Uh, contact you, contact someone else at B3. Uh, as far as training courses, I know you mentioned the one, but others that you might want to mention. Yeah, so I would, uh, I'd say the best way to kind of learn about things is go to the, the V3 Movement website. Uh, the V3 Movement like T-H-E-V-3movement.org, because kind of most everything is on there. We have an active blog that will usually kind of clue people into new things happening. So, for example, we have a webinar coming up this Thursday that will be featured on the blog. So if you want, you know, we have like these webinars, we have these immersions, these four to six week kind of deep dives into particular topics. There's a whole website page for them. And uh, if, if someone is in what wants to do a remissioning uh, longer journey of nine months, you know, there, you can find that on the website through the cohorts and you can read about the different types of cohorts that we have. And usually you just uh, apply for things through there and the right persons will connect. I'm probably not the best person to personally get a hold of. Oh. It's better just to apply for these things and responses yeah. will be given through our larger system. But the, uh, and then I would say we also have a V3 app for those who have smartphones and want to check that out. You just go to the Apple or whatever device that you have, like it's on every platform. Uh, look for the V3 uh, movement, and you should be able to uh, download the app. The app is another way to get a hold of free videos, resources, and 
everything you kind of can learn about on the website, most of those things are on the app. You can even apply for remissioning directly through the app as well. So the app is just another nice resource to be able to, you know, look around to see what things are available to learn. JR, I've got that app. Yeah. And I also took the remissioning cohort uh, with Joshua Hayden. He he was interviewed uh, just a couple of episodes back as I start this new podcast. And I definitely uh, would recommend that as well for these churches. Um, any final words, something you want to share? Uh, again, this has been great information. And I just, uh, again, my prayer is all of our churches could live into the reality uh, that we have now and know that God is still doing great things. We have to change the way we look at things. Um, again, the podcast is about new wineskins, um, discovering fresh perspectives for the church to live into the kingdom of God. So, No, that's good. I mean, I, I would say the next step is like to check out a webinar, which is kind of a pretty low commitment. It's a, like an hour long public. It's free. Yeah. And then secondly, uh, I mean, out of the ones that I know coming up uh, near the end of July that structured for movement, uh, that will be up there on the immersion page at some point. Okay. I would say that would be the next step because it's really hard to explain in you know, our small amount of time. I, I think if anybody, if it sounds interesting, and if you want to learn more and think about how to concretely re, you know, structure the life of the church, I think going through that six-week immersion will give a lot more help in that because we, you know, we have a kind of an overview closing and we take a week to uh, think through each of those spaces. And there's usually an article, a couple short video clips, and then a live uh, dialogue, uh, about a 30-minute talk with some. 15 minute discussion, 15 minute cue and response uh, around that. So it's a, it's a, I think it's enough space to kind of get a sense if like you want to go deeper into like a, a longer journey of nine months or something. And JR, I'm with you. That's great information. I would hope I would get enough of my pastors to go through a six week course that we could also follow up, you know, and do a peer learning group again personal space uh, to yeah. go and uh, then hopefully in the remissioning and get another small group to do that personal space and, and help each other. Cause I've been through it now. I, I realize how valuable this is, but I'm thankful for you and, and what you're doing. Um, well, thank you. Yeah. Yeah. I'm thankful for what you're doing and like being able to make a connection with people, but I think those are great great next steps like really pretty concrete and what happens <laughs> so, yeah man thank you again take care take care everyone bye-bye we hope you've enjoyed the content this week and that you found something that you can put in use today for your ministry context if you'd like more information about the content of today's episode or more information about dr tony brooks or the baptist general association of virginia or just want to connect for further dialogue and resources, go to bgav.org or email Tony at tony.brooks at bgav.org. Thanks for listening, 
And we look forward to having you join us for the next episode of New Wineskins, where we discuss fresh perspectives for the local church in the 21st century. Thank you.